Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Suzanne Spradley, and I am here with my colleague, Lauren Fisher. Uh, We are attorneys for NFP and the Employee Benefits uh, Group. And uh, Lauren is standing in for Chase today, who is traveling. Um, We're very excited to have you here today, Lauren. Thanks for joining us. Excited to be here. I understand that we are going to talk about some bad actors today. Yes, indeed. So we are going to actually continue a discussion. We had started back in September of 2018. We did a podcast on a uh, too-good-to-be-true tax savings plans that employers were really hearing a lot about and kept coming into our door and asking us about. So I thought we would discuss that. There's been a development in that case. And then also dig into some other types of bad actors that relate to health and health plans. Okay, take us back to the tax savings plan and remind us what that was about. So last August, that's August in 2018, um, two individuals, a couple, I won't name them now, but their company, the Total Financial Group, were charged with a federal grand jury uh, 34-count indictment that related to the operation of their medical reimbursement program called the Classic 105 program. Many of you may have heard of that. It was marketed to employers as a supplemental benefits plan for their employees to reimburse for medical expenses um, like copays and deductibles. I remember hearing about that, but it's a bit complicated, which is probably why some employers didn't really unpack it enough to know what the real issues were going on within that program. Yeah, employers, you know, it's it's understandable. They want to try to find programs that appear to be good for their employees. And this on its face sounded like this is great because this is going to save my employees some money. It will also save the employers some money. But there's problems with this program. Um, just in general, the Classic 105 program and other programs that are similar, they really do what's considered impermissible double dipping. So first, they have employees that will have pre-tax deduction made through a cafeteria plan. So a portion is taken out of their salary um, that's subject to federal income tax and FICA tax. Um, And remember, um, FICA tax is paid by both employers and employees. So if you reduce the amount of wages that are subject to that, then you're benefiting both the employers and the employees. So they take, they reduce, um, they do a pre-tax deduction, payroll deduction, And then the employer receives a reimbursement back magically in the same amount of money that was taken out, allegedly under the idea that it's that they are being reimbursed for some form of of qualified medical expenses that are not taxable. So there's your double dipping. The employee's net take home pay is effectively restored to the amount it was before the deductions, but there was no tax on that reimbursement. Um, So in short, programs like either the 105 program or some of the others the employee's not in reality incurring any kind of expense, so there's nothing to be reimbursed. And I think that's one of the key areas that you really need to focus on when you see some of these programs. Um, some of the times we've seen programs uh, where the employee is receiving an excessively large reward for performing some kind of simple wellness task, like going onto a wellness website and clicking through some educational material. Um, Things like that are just not going to fly with the regulators. You have to, in order to comply with federal law, the employee must incur some kind of -of out-of-pocket health care expense that's equal to the amount that they're being reimbursed. So the amount that's coming back to the employee, they must have incurred as an expense. And the Classic 105 program gets even more complicated with a loan. Isn't that correct? Yes, it does. And it's really, it it really, again, um, One of the things that makes these kind of programs difficult is, for example, with the Classic 105 plan, 
they brought along two opinion letters from national law firms that were touting the legitimacy of the program. But according to the indictment, the company had actually provided false information to the law firms and they had altered the opinion letters. So if you have a promoter who's promoting a program that seems too good to be true and they're offering up um, some, you know, some opinion letters from national law firms, that in itself isn't necessarily determinative of whether it's a legitimate program or not. You need to dig a, a bit deeper. But anyway, under the Classic 105 program, the employee reimbursement was in the form of a loan. And the authorities actually said that the defendants admitted that the company never obtained a single loan or insurance policy for the 105 program. And the participants never even made any actual contributions. So it was all just uh, a series of paper transactions that in effect did nothing but reduce the participants' taxable wages and the employer's FICA payments. So allegedly, or I shouldn't say allegedly, according to the authorities, the employers had no knowledge of the impropriety of the uh, company. So at, at that point, none of the employers were brought into this um, action. But what the result of it was that there was an underpayment of at least $23 million in federal FICA taxes, as well as underreporting and underpayment of personal federal income taxes. So be cautious of any program in which there's some type of pre-tax deduction that is taken out via a cafeteria plan and where the employer or a third party then ap appears to return those pre-tax wages to the employee in some form um, without the employee ever really incurring any expenses. We have continued to see variations on this program. We continue to warn employers about these programs. It's, they are promising unrealistic tax benefits and they can really get you into some trouble. So even if they have a, a legal opinion, dig into it a bit deeper. So why are we talking about this today? What happened in this case recently? Well, as I mentioned, the indictment occurred last August. That's in 2018. Um, last month, in June of 2019, the federal prosecutors had obtained a criminal conviction, actually in, in May, but it was unsealed in June, um, that showed that these individuals pled guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit money laundering, um, they also pled guilty to one count of conspiracy to defraud the United States government, and the company pled guilty to one count of conspiracy to make false statements of representations in connection with AMIWA, and five counts of making false statements and representations in connection with AMIWA. The reason MIWA is brought into it is because the money that was allegedly contributed was pooled between many employers, and so that's how they were able to bring the MIWA statutes into play. The pleas were entered in by a U.S. district judge in New Orleans, and the sentencing now is set for September 5th, so we don't know what the actual sentencing is yet. But as part of the guilty pleas, they agreed to forfeit their assets of about $6.3 million, and they acknowledged that there was a loss to the victims of totaling more than $48 million, and they agreed to pay restitution for that amount of the loss. Um, and they also admitted to causing the underpayment, as I mentioned earlier, of $23 million in federal FICA taxes. So, it, you know, think of this. At one time, the company had more than 350 employer clients. They were able to really push this scheme out there to a broad base of clients. And um, it's, you know, it, it affected a lot of individuals. Probably because it sounded so good. Um, what about the employer's employees involved in this scheme? What happens to them? Well, that's, you know, that really remains to be seen. As I mentioned, there was a significant underpayment of FICA taxes and an under- um, payment of individual taxes. So the, the IRS certainly could circle back to those employers' employees and seek 
back taxes and, you know, perhaps even penalties. So that remains to be seen. Okay. Um, so aside from the classic 105 program and the updates from that case, what are some other criminal enforcement actions involving employee benefit plans that are notable? Well, there's a number of embezzlement actions. So of individuals diverting funds, defrauding money from individuals who thought they were purchasing health insurance or individuals who are falsely billing for medical work that's not performed. So there's, you know, those are a dime a dozen, I have to say. But I wanted to just point out a few notable ones. There was one a few years back of an individual who was sentenced to 46 months in federal prison and ordered to pay over $3 million in restitution. And this was an individual who ran a benefits administration group, and he administered HRA plans. And over a period of about five years, he stole over $3 million out of those individual HRA accounts. The company was named Access Benefit Administrators or Access Health Partners. And, you know, he just, he really, this individual treated those HRAs as his personal ATM. So he didn't have any regard for the hardship he was causing those thousands of hardworking people who were unable to access their own funds when they needed it. Um, And some of the company's clients were like government contractors, um, Goodwill Industries. There was a vet securing America, you know, that employed veterans who were mentally and physically disabled adults. So he really affected vulnerable individuals. And without a cure, he was using this money to pay, maintain his luxurious lifestyle. So uh, unfortunately, there are bad actors out there like this, and you have to be um, uh, concerned with who you're doing business with. Yeah, this is a good reminder to conduct due diligence on any benefit administrator that you engage uh, to work with your plan. You know, that's a that's a great point, Lauren, because as under ERISA, you have fiduciary obligations to conduct due diligence on, you know, the service providers that you work with. Um, there was another case that same year that was a little bit closer to home for the affected individual uh, because it was the employer's own employee, the benefits plan manager, who was defrauding the company. And in this case, the employer was Tyson out of Arkansas. You've probably heard of the individual. Brenda Blair had worked for the company for more than 25 years. Um, she managed contributions into a the Tyson Foods pre-65 retiree health insurance benefit plan. And over a, you know a period of time, she devised a scheme to defraud money from the company by generating fraudulent payments in the name of actual participants in the retiree plan and directing those payments into her own bank account. So she was sentenced to 28 months in federal prison and had to pay over half a million dollars in restitution for the money that she stole. Um, You know, it's just just shocking. Um, Yeah. And this is evidence of not only do you have to do due diligence for your external vendors, but you also need to make sure and have checks and balances in place as it relates to the administration of your benefit plan internally. Um, And I'm sure the company just became lax over time because you don't anticipate someone who has worked for the company for so long to be dishonest. Exactly. Uh, Let's talk about one more case. Okay. So there is one, again, um, this one goes back a few years, but I think it's important to hear about because we still hear of issues today with self-insured plans wanting to carve out unhealthy individuals. Um, But back in 2014, there were four Massachusetts men who pled guilty as a result of their participation in a scheme involving a Massachusetts health insurance company, HMA Direct. Um, And what they did was they offered uh, a fraudulent scheme really to some self-insured 
uh, small businesses. They would carve out from their self-insured plan employees who had significant health risks and then through false statements arranged for those employees to be insured through traditional health insurance providers. And then they also participated in the individuals participated in the carve-out scheme arranged for other individuals who were investors in the company to pretend that they were satisfied customers and provide fake references for prospective clients. So they were hit on a number of different angles, and the maximum sentence under the relevant statute is 20 years in prison and a $250,000 fine. So these are not things that you really, you know, you want to mess around with. Yeah, and we've certainly heard of employers wanting to create classifications of employees or small subsidiaries to place they're unhealthy employees under a small group health plan since there's no health underwriting in that market. Right. Um, and we just continue to caution employers from doing so. And this is a good reminder that any of these schemes just generally don't end well. Indeed. Indeed. I think all of these are good reminders. And so that's all we have time for today. So as we like to say on our podcast, that's a wrap. Lauren, thank you for joining us today. My and pleasure. Thank you all for joining me.